Hey, this is Gary Gary Beers, and I'll be on NXS Access All Areas with Hayden B for a good chat about NXS and my musical career. So tune on in. Well, hello, welcome to Access Access All Areas, episode 137, the second instalment of Gary Beers. Welcome to B, my compadre, and all of our listeners and patrons who join us on this escapade. B, I can't wait for Gary Part 2. How are you? I can't wait for Gary Part 2 either. Yes, mm. last week was so interesting, wasn't it? Can't wait Very to much have so. him back. Do you reckon he's um, going to tell us, spill some little stories that we've never heard before? Well, he's got his fist up in the air and thumbs up in the green room <laughs> saying he is. So that's a, that's maybe a telltale <laughs> sign that that he is. And, and thank you to all the downloads. Uh, we have a massive uh, response to Gary. Um, we are mere ships in the night. It's always the band and the music that's the stars of this show. Absolutely. Uh, but yeah. Big thank you to Gary and, and all the listeners out there who uh, dove uh, deep into his uh, career and we really didn't even get too in excessy, did we? We've got a lot of that stuff coming up today. Oh, we have. I hope so. I hope so. Um, mm. Just want to thank him, actually, for sharing our podcast as well, which was really delightful. So um, I think he's our biggest uh, fun engager this week. And so is Kieran Gribbins as well. He's actually been uh, sharing our podcast um, posts today. Yes, absolutely. Absolutely. Well, B, how's your NXS week been? Uh, I guess um, it's always busy, but with a band member being interviewed, I'm sure there's been lots coming across your desk. Well, I met um, up with um, Greg Nugent yesterday. I think it was yesterday. Yes. Um, he's a truckie. He was travelling from Brisbane going toward um, Sydney and he said, can um, I meet me at the BP garage? <laughs> so um, he had put an order in for Clemo's book and I gave him a Was that the guy cap. with the in excess cap on and the book yeah. hanging out on the highway? One, <laughs> I gave him one of our caps. Yeah, oh, well yeah. Done, Greg. And a few little bits and pieces. And um, he wants our T-shirts. He goes, oh, I've got, he's put some orders in. He's a good lad. Fantastic, Greg. But Greg is actually a pilot. And he's right. um, constantly trying to get hold of um, in excess his old plane. So I don't right. know if he's, he's going, a regular listener of somewhere. ours. Yes. Yes, he is. Yes, he yes. is. Okay. Great lad. Fantastic. Uh, well, he's trucking around Australia like many uh, hard truckers do, and I'm sure he probably uh, uh, plays the music and puts our podcasts on to keep himself focused amidst the long hours on the road. Thank you, Greg. Excellent. And how was your in excess week? 
been pretty good. You know, uh, I think there's a few things happening in the pipeline that you and I have been sort of texting back and forth about. And uh, we had a little bit of a chat earlier today and we might save some of that for the news. But look, it's obviously exciting when we're in the middle of a Gary uh, episode or a double, triple episode. And uh, as I've alluded to, we're probably going to follow the Gary episodes with an elegantly wasted deep dive, B, because I worked out the other day, it's 32 episodes since we've done an album review. Ooh, really? Yeah. Think of Full Moon Dirty Hearts, 1993. Yeah, true, true. Uh, it's, it's a full, it's a full uh, uh, 32, 33 episodes ago. So we're going to need to do a deep dive and elegantly waste it. I can hear Pedro in Portugal. Very excited about that. So we're doing that after Gary, probably another we will. two. A couple of weeks away. Yeah. Yeah. Nah, right. yeah, but we're going to go from go from uh, power to power and, and do that. And uh, as I said, I'm going to reach we'll reach out to Andrew Farris if he may want to come on and talk about that album on one of the podcasts. We can't promise it, but we will make the invitation known because he was a co-producer on that album along with Bruce Fairbairn, who's unfortunately uh, passed away a few years ago. Mm-hmm. Uh, but it may be something Andrew you know gives an hour or so of his time to talk about. If not, we could always see if Martha will come on because she was around that a time as well, wasn't she? Because I think she said she'd like to come on very soon. Yeah, well, look, she's part of that sort of era too. Mm, so mm. Uh, that's something we can do. Um, yeah, we've got lots to look forward to as we sort of tidy up the album stuff. And then after that, we've got, as you know, we've got the Switch album and we've got a lot of, you know, uh, re-releases and but the original Sin project. And then there's obviously a lot of uh, compilation stuff that we'll put out around the world. So there's a few little Albany nugget Easter eggs to talk about. Hey, did you see the email come through from uh, uh, Mr. Buckley today? I did. quite. I can't quite remember because my brain's hit uh, overload <laughs> today, but remind me. He asked if we would ever get um, Jenny Morris, Jenny Morris? on. Yes, yeah, yes, yes. yeah. Well, which is a lovely actually, thought. Yeah. Which is yeah. a lovely thought, but I don't she, think she's on our wish. Well, she's on our wish list. Maybe she's on our wish list. Anything else come across your desk, B? Anything else interactive in the NXS world? I know uh, you like to name drop in this part of the show a little bit. Permission to name drop. I spoke to Tim Ferriss last night and he said to say hello. Well, talk about name drops there. She, <laughs> she, she can't can't hold back, can she, listeners there? You know, I was, I was thinking of Blair or the, the Live Baby Live guys. No, she's just gone, to the top. She's gone straight <laughs> to the juggernaut. Carmen's fallen off her Wollongong chair here in the word Timmy. So um, how's Tim tracking yeah, he's doing good. He's doing good. Doing good. Um, yeah, hopefully we'll hear from him soon too. It'd be nice to get him yes. back on the show. He was our first um, band guest, wasn't he? Um, he way, way back. So that would be mm. really nice to have him back on soon, I would say. It'd be nice this mm. year. Mm. Yes. Now, but we uh, uh, we probably save it to the fan engagement. But big thank you and big shout out to everybody who's bought their raffle tickets so far uh, for the Michael Michael in Pitchers book. My voice is cutting out because, as you know, B, I had tonsillitis three days ago. Oh, I'm recovering. Sh- I forgot yeah. about that. Yeah, no, <laughs> do- well done coming on the show with tonsillitis. So, is it gone or is it still a bit? I nearly sore? gave you tonsillitis. There, so you couldn't pronounce it. There, oh, no, well, yeah, no, <laughs> it's not hard. That's for weekly me, tonsillitis. Really, <laughs> Yeah, look. Got, or as my daughter to... calls it, totalitis. <laughs> well, yeah, you know, I want to call it bloody scum, scum, puslitis. But anyway, oh, sorry, 
<laughs> Sorry, listeners, but yes, I, I couldn't actually swallow on Saturday. Um, I could barely uh, bees laughing. Okay, <laughs> so I did go to the doctors. I got an emergency case of uh, antibiotics and diflam and strepsils, and uh, forty-eight hours later, I feel pretty good. So good on you. But all that aside, we uh, have had a bunch of patrons come on the last couple of weeks. I know we shouted out to a few last week, and we've had obviously a great you know uh, contribution through our raffle ticket program. And as I started mentioning before. 20 bucks a ticket, you can buy as many tickets as you like, but it's limited to 50 guests. And uh, we've only got about maybe 15, maybe spots left. I think we've had 35 approximate guests uh, contribute so far in terms of ticket purchases. You would be tickets. right there. Yes, you are right yeah. there. Mm. So we've only got about room for 15 more people to buy a ticket. You know, buy as many as you like, and then we're going to be auctioning off in the next couple of weeks, uh, or sorry, raffling off this particular uh, publication. And it's not an easy send. It's a, it's about four kilos and, you know, it costs us a couple hundred bucks to send around the world. But the response we've had makes it more than worthwhile for that exercise to work out. And it is a very, very unique uh, purchase. So get your last uh, purchases in. If you've already purchased some, you can get some more. But we are limited to 50 people. So limits the, uh, well, increases the chances, I guess, uh, of a winner. B, anything else you want to add? We've got another raffle prize, very special raffle prize i'll be coming in next couple of weeks so gosh oh. you are gonna well, this one's for the boys more so okay. i would say um, okay. out there but yeah i will save it for next week while I'm, we're talking about prizes and stuff i know we usually leave it to the end we are going to be announcing next week the um, person who gave us the best review of the podcast. We've been looking okay. at all your reviews, everybody. Thank you for tagging us in. And Hayden and I are going to decide. We haven't. De- we, there's quite a few, isn't there, Hayden? We haven't really decided yet. So um, next no. week we will announce that. Sorry. And the winner gets Chris Cafaro's um, limited edition print of Michael Hutchins, which is worth around about $600. Fantastic. Well, just remember a cup of coffee or a couple of coffees, depending on the, the size of your patronage, allows you to get different items, different levels of membership, everything from uh, bronze uh, and gold, I guess, or gold and platinum. Always a, a handy addition to our coffers to allow us to reinvest. Probably our biggest expense is postage, B, when we look at it, isn't it? I know, you know? yeah. We, we need to open up a post office because we spend, well, you know, you guys, the patrons spend thousands of dollars, you know, a year on postage, getting things out to you. But uh, yeah, we'd love to have a few more patrons jumping on board because ultimately we want to go to the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame with you uh, mm-hmm. and be part of the uh, NXS sent to the Hall of Fame, which we'll talk about a bit later. B, over to the patrons. Let's welcome the existing ones aboard. I'd like to say hello to everybody outside on the highway. Let's all say hello to everybody outside. It's about 10,000 people at least. Well, hello to our honorary members, Tim Ferriss, Nick Egan, Mark Opitz, Richard Simpkin, Cameron Adams, Mary Woods, Darren Jones, Paul Jolie, Carmen, Laurie, Carrie-Anne, Danielle, Sarah Markham, Sarah Camia, Dr. Jim, Katie, Lisa Mack, Anne-Marie, Susan P, Susan B, Foxy, Pedro, Mandy, Lisa, Matt, Linda, Yvonne, Caroline, Amanda H, Amanda V, 
David, Tracy, Paul Bridges, Paul Buckley, Sandrine, Ella, Ryder, Tony, Erica, Abigail, Martin, Val, Jim, Kelly, Matey, Jackie, Sean, Sheila, Shannon, Helen, Brett, Suzanne, Laurel, Bard, Genevieve, Shelby, Manny, Lori, Jill, Yari, Laos, Heidi, Paula, Lisa, Angie, Nancy, Juliet, Scott, Anthea, Maria, Nicole, Tracy, Darren, Vernon, Jamie, Diane, Diana, Stefan, Andrew, Georgie, Stephen, Keisha, Mark, Vern, Shane, Lachlan, Mandy, Rachel, Nick, Sula, Amy, and Diana. You are legends. Welcome to the podcast. Thanks to all the worthy patrons there and the, and the list there read up by UB. Um, topic of the week, well, it is Gary Part 2. We're not going to give too much away here and now, but uh, uh, we are excited to sort of kick off, pardon the pun, uh, talking a lot about Wembley and getting into the real nitty-gritty of Inexcess and Gary. So we will, uh, I guess, be go to that very important section for the topic, which is... It's time for the news. Hi, it's Dave from England, and you're listening to NXS Access All Areas with Hayden and B. And now it's time for the news. All right, B. Well, for the sake of the listeners, they don't want to hear us waffle too long today. Gary's the superstar, so we will do a quick news section. I'll save a few things for next week and some nuggets for then. Uh, chart Watch, uh, the very best of uh, in the Australian uh, chart, still number one uh, after being number one last week and number two, I think, for the year. Uh, <laughs> Kick, still number 11 in the Australian charts and the Yay. very best of. Very best of in the major sort of all country origin sort of charts, uh, which is the very best of in excess. It's gone from 29 to 37. So it's still in the, the top 50 amongst all yeah. the artists from all countries. So it's still sort of steady Eddie there. Also, next up in News B, it's a coincidental week of anniversaries for two number one in excess songs. One, Original Sin, was actually number one this weekend in 1984. 39 years ago, which there's been lots of publications and I'm sure it'll appear in our newsletter. Uh, but equally, I didn't quite join the dots. You know, I should have known this, but uh, obviously the same weekend, four years later, Need You Tonight, In Excess is sold number one in America as a single, of which Timmy has his own chart in his little office there. So I'm sure the girls will capture that in their newsletter. But uh, yeah, interesting little statistic there. Um, two different songs, individual number ones in two different countries, both that uh, made the band very proud and their fans too. Uh, also, too, there's a good article out this week through, I think it's called the CMJ sort of college network, but it's a it's a college countdown of the top 1,000 albums, and a lot of it relates back to sort of the 70s through the 90s. And uh, I know Listen Like Thieves uh, came in at 86. College Circuit was a massive platform for a lot of bands to uh, really, I guess, cut their teeth into the the um, the alternative scene uh, of which, you know, the younger university college students like to sort of, you know, find a band. And before they went mainstream a bit, and uh, In Excess definitely Work that crowd on a lot of the early albums in uh, America. And it's good to see that uh, Listen Like Thieves got quite a good uh, rating in that chart. So you can Google those things in your search engine and see the overall top thousand. Also, too, uh, B, we've had a bit of discussion back and forth. It is uh, by the time that this will go out, the Rock Hall of Fame nomination list for the ballot. 
uh, is going to be coming out. So uh, the interest of uh, disclosure, we're going to be recording this about two days before the announcement of that. Uh, I'm sure if in excess and, um, are in the ballot. So just for listeners' education, there's a ballot of about 20 names that get put forward uh, based on the sort of the criteria of being worthy to get in. Of those 20 names, there's a voting system that then follows up later and the top seven or eight get in. But we would be disappointed first if they went in the top seven, but I'd be hugely disappointed if they went in the top 20. The last couple of years, we've seen Eurythmics, Duran Duran, we've seen Def Leppard, people of that ilk and vintage get in. So I'd like to think Inexus can make the top 20, you know, be considered then for that voting process that then follows by, uh, I think around June, July, the actual final ballot gets cut down to the nomination list. So anything that people can do, uh, we've said last week to encourage uh, good voting, fantastic, but it's in the hand of the gods really now. It is. It is in the hands of the gods. But I want to say mm. thank you to Danielle for actually um, alighting it to us. And she, as we, as I speak at the moment, she's had over 100 likes on her post that she's done. The podcast has put a post out onto that nomination platform as well. And we've had a huge response of everyone sharing it. And like I said, even Kieran's shared our post as well about the nominations so even if we don't get in it's still creating awareness so jump on share it like it love it comment thank you uh, a couple of more important little things big shout out to all the in excess tribute bands around the world but particularly australia during the australia day long weekend uh there was a massive amount of gigs being played particularly on australia day so big shout out to all the bands that did so and uh spread the love around also, too, a uh, bit of a negative, the Cranbourne race meeting where the in excess Mystify Stakes we were on, B, uh, got cancelled last week. Maybe it was too hot. So <laughs> any of the people that are looking to attend the Mystify Tribute Race, uh, uh, it was cancelled. So I thought for our punters out there, it was a handy uh, late scratching, uh, B, as they say in okay, racing parlance. Right. <laughs> and uh, also, last little thing, just a quick shout-out, get to the in excess website. There's often little uh, nuggets there that are coming up every couple of days but particularly the, uh, you know, List Like Thieves uh, concert album experience review, as much as you can uh, share uh, onto that platform, you may become fan of the week uh, and have a special one-on-one with us that goes onto the podcast and the website. So that's the news of the week, Lee. Fantastic. Hey, this is Tim Farris. Big shout out to Hayden and B. Also want to say hello to all the listeners and NXS fans. Thanks for listening. I love you, Hayden and B. You're doing a great job. Keep it up. You're listening to In Excess, Access All Areas with Hayden and B. And now it's time for the topic of the week. All right, B, we're going to get right into it today. We're going to get uh, Gary to kick off, uh, I guess, all of his experiences with the gig in Wembley as our sort of starting point. So over to you, Gary.
the feeling like when you were at Wembley and John's gone uh, up the top there and jamming away and then you're coming on stage? What was that moment when you thought, hang on, this is an interesting start to a show because as a as a fan, I don't think I've ever heard a start to an NXS show like that. Uh, do you remember that feeling and vibe running out? As, as a member, I've never heard of NXS show start like that unless you know, <laughs> back in the Farris Brothers days where – you know, we we do parties, and Andrew would walk out dressed like a chicken and start a song. Or, you know, <laughs> you know, we're just backstage, and it was yeah, you know, it was nervous enough as it was. I mean, my God, it's Wembley. We we you know we played it before supporting Queen a couple of times, I think. But um, you know, to to headline it, and yeah, you know, the backstage party room had a thousand people in it, and it's like Peter Gabriel. And I mean, I honestly avoided that room because I I was just wanting to. Be in my zone, and and then we're sitting there. It's like okay, so yeah, start the countdown, and then we hear the drums. It's like what the (laughs) (laughs) put the half a glass of champagne down and just run, basically run, and that's why we're kind of running onto stage. And then the natural thing takes over is to just jam along because John's on this huge groove. It's still daylight at Wembley Stadium, which is still one of the greatest venues that that ever ever was. It's a shame it's gone. Um, mm. But to walk out and the crowd is just doing the whole, you know, living, breathing entity of itself, um, you know, it's, it was just a, a really good cool goosebumps part. just thinking about it. You must get it all the time, yeah. And then years later, we didn't actually see the footage for ages. Someone said the, the rough cut of Guns in the Sky and New, Sen- and New Sensation with the crowd really started going nuts. It was like, wow, I mean... What yeah. a great way to start a gig! Just go mm. out there, get the butterflies out by jamming. Because you know, even no matter how much you've done it, you still get you sort of get butterflies. I mean, it's Wembley and Australian bands. You know, whether we cracked America or not, you still had that thing about England. Well, that was so patronising to 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 you guys and in most Australian acts anyway. They always played the big convict uh, mother father thing, didn't they? You know. Oh yeah, we we you know we did Hammersmith Odeon. It's like oh, it's full of Australians. It's like no, it wasn't. You know. <laughs> yeah. I mean, Oh, yeah, we got used to that. And yeah, it's ironic. It just took a long time to crack England. So it was very satisfying to do Wembley Stadium. But we'd already done, you know, seven nights at, Wem- at Wembley Arena, which holds 10,000. So we'd just, we'd done the same thing. We just hadn't put them all in one big room, um, like Wembley Stadium. So it was a slow burn, so to speak, to get there. But it was very satisfying. And, and I hats off to John for doing that. I guess. He felt the need to do it. Maybe it just freed you all up from being too sort of, you know, robotic. And maybe allowed just he's out there being instinctive. Let's just go out and be be instinctive of what we do, you know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And it's and it's such a great groove. I mean, what a great drum and and his, his uh, like backing pattern on his on his whatever machine he was using at the time. Just such a huge groove. The the, the drum beat behind that is a is a like edited version of Funky Drummer by James Brown. Like that uh-huh. that drum beat. Um, it's been so used, but John used it to perfection. Alive with Guns in the Sky. So and then to yeah, you know, when he counts it in, and we all hit that three guitars, bass, all doing the same two notes. Michael yeah. wrote those two notes, so it was just huge. So with the uh, the actual footage of that concert, I mean, you must in hindsight you know, 30 years later, be so excited that you're able to capture that on film in such an innovative way that uh, I know that those boys from you too took your director from that. I think it was David Mallet and he made the, the live in Sydney Zeropa show. Yeah. If you think back to the the artistry of the filming and the dollies and all the, the production values of that gig, yeah. it's so great that it's captured at the time and still here for us to enjoy now. 
it's kind of like we trusted Chris Murphy implicitly with his decisions back then, and yeah, it's a pretty big one to spend the entire gate on 16 35 mil cameras and a helicopter and you know top directors and and it put infinitely more pressure on you know, and to fly mark oberts over and get a you know to set up the day before it was all documented it was just so much pressure laid along you know we we were pretty streamlined and pretty slick at the time i mean it's, it ended up being you know one of the best concerts and we just finished touring you know headlining big festivals on a short tour through europe as opposed to the usual, you know, you know, twelve month, eighteen month tours, so it was, mm. it was perfectly arranged. And, and hats off to Chris, you know, for organising that. But we trusted him to, to spend, you know, a million pounds or whatever it was on on recording it. And then it was interesting when we came home because we were going through the second or third bout of the tall poppy syndrome here in Australia, mm. and we came back and it's like went back home. So that's why we, yeah. we didn't. You know, edit it and release the footage because we're just going through the whole. You know, you're a bunch of wankers kind of thing. That is just, well, yeah, it's, it's, it's a hard. strange yeah. process, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, yeah really it's, strange process. And I remember, um, you know, hearing on the radio, it's like, you know, the baby animals were doing really well at the time, and Susie's going, you know, yeah, we just played Wembley, and you know, and I'm like, really? And she's like, yeah, Wembley Arena. I thought it was bigger, and she's like. She didn't walk out the back door and look at the big, big stadium out the back. <laughs> we were doing Wembley Arena. We, you know, There's this old doorman at the back. He's like, you know, he was in his like 80s and he, he'd obviously been there forever. And he's like, and we walked out to look at the stadium. And he goes, Yeah, you'll be lucky if you ever get to play that. It's like, you know, and all <laughs> of people could do that. Bobby Streisand and you know, Michael Jackson, maybe that Prince bloke. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, three, three people and and you know, obviously the you know the FA Cup, yeah, that's about it. So okay, well we'll never get to do that, I guess. And then we did. So yeah. 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 And what was lovely a couple of years ago that you found the footage for lately and uh hearing Kirk. Um oof, that's that intro, it's fantastic. Well, yeah, it's it's great to see that because you kind of forget it. I, I'm not one to sit and go over, you know, the past. I'm always as you, you may have noticed, I'm always busily moving forwards and it's great to sit back and look at that and i remember you know seeing that when we went to a screening of the of the live baby live here in la and i took toby and my you know my band and went and the kids and my and my wife jordan and went and saw it and it's like wow it's you know it's actually it's overwhelming you know a sitting with your family and your friends but just going wow that was that was that was a moment in time that we're I'm happy we filmed. Happily, we were selfishly did that because we didn't plan. I don't think the plan was to do it really to do it for monetary gain. We just wanted to really document you know, one of the biggest moments of, an, of, of a big Australian band's history, you know? Yeah, and I think that was great because I think it was In Excess Week and then there was a lot of footage of the buses and the radio stations taking over. It was In Excess Day, I think, on the, everything simulcast. But also you, there was a few sort of health scares around that concert, if I uh, can remember back uh, maybe with your family. Is that right? To give you a little in, insight, that's why we didn't play Don't Change. Oh, because you had to leave early. She was in the infirmary. Um, and I had to basically walked off stage after the first or second encore, or first encore, and, and Chris Murphy also said, with two policemen, and said, it's all okay, just go with these gentlemen. And then that's why we didn't do a second encore and didn't do Don't Change, is that I, I had to rush to the uh-huh. infirmary and then the hospital. Not much of a party for me after you know, the biggest gig of my career. So, But it all worked out fine. 
we, we have to find some humour in this, and that is that Tim, through all these interviews, since is like, hey, we don't even realise why we didn't play Don't Change. I think we just yeah, ran yeah. out of time, <laughs> doesn't he, Pete? He always talks about how we didn't play because we ran out of time. He's uh... Well, uh, he was probably on another planet at that point, actually. Yeah, I really wanted to, yeah, to, to talk about this or sound my own horn or whatever, and they, I, they probably don't even know that happened, to be honest. I remember... No. I went to the hospital. I yeah, finally got back to the hotel. They were all having. We had a whole floor for a party. I walked in. I just wanted a beer and, a, and a, just a, a moment. Mm. And the guys were all just yeah, three sheets to the wind and having a great time. It was yeah, as they should. And I'm like, oh well, I guess I missed the main part of it. And I just went back, went to bed. So it was like, oh, Gary, a, a <laughs> rock star moment. It was just like, you know, but yeah. But the next morning, I basically had to go in the studio. So, because there was a couple of glitches on, I think, a couple of songs that the. Shining Star, you also had to go and had, record, didn't you? I think. You had to go record a song. I had to go and record yeah. a song after after that. So, I I was happy. I was, you know, I didn't party like like a rock star. So. Yeah, yeah. And then didn't you go up to Scotland straight after that as yeah, well? Yeah, we go in the studio the next morning and, and, and then off on the rest of the final part of the tour. So, um, uh, I'm sure there was videos. You worked damn hard, didn't you guys? Yeah. I mean, people, you know, kind of forget that. I mean, you know. Yeah. We don't. <laughs> no, I know, and I don't because I remember it all, you know. You know, like Kick was our sixth album. Artists these days don't get, you know, six streams, you know, let alone six full albums to get to, to hit their peak. Um, and I we toured yeah. everything to get, you know, to build the live audience more than the, than the recorded audience because we, we didn't really – we had glimmers of, of what we wanted to be in a studio, but we didn't really get it right until sort of half of Listen Like Thieves, half of um, The Swing. I mean, they're all, yeah, we just didn't know what we wanted to be when we grew up. So we, we just kind of did everything. looking back and seeing the evolution of the sound and the band and the influences and everything that, that goes with it. Michael Stipe, I think, famously said, look, you know, as a band RM, we were given five or six albums to sort of stuff it up a little bit, you know, and, and, and evolve to a end game. And, you know, think back to the maybe the lack of great bands now that are giving get given the chance to flourish over a journey just doesn't seem to be the case. I think, I think you, you touched on it before with producers. I mean, there's really only a handful of, of producers and, you know, God bless them, a lot of them are gone. I still listen to classic rock. In 50 years' time, you're still going to be listening to Zeppelin. You're not going to be listening to, you know, whatever's going around now. Hmm. It's just a sad truth. Yeah, hmm. Back when I was a kid, it wasn't classic rock. It was current rock. It was alternative, you yeah. know? Like, i buy the albums, Zeppelin 2 and Zeppelin 3, as they came out. I bought Abbey Road. As, you know, all the good stuff was being invented and appreciated and loved as I was growing up as in high school. The monkeys on TV, learn, that's where you really learn about pop songs, you know, and then later you realise it was the Wrecking Crew with a with a the, the LA band that 
you know, that I grew up idolizing Glenn Campbell and Carol Kay on bass and, you know, and all the TV shows like soundtracks I used to listen to as a kid, the American TV shows, that was a wrecking crew as well. So you don't realize the influences that you had subconsciously growing up that, you know, because as you study more music history, which I'm, I'm fascinated by, you, you realize how much it, it influence it had on your life and your, how much it's influenced you to influence other people. And, and that's what I'm saying about producers is that I love producing artists. I love producing. I just produced Ash and Moon. Um, I produced Mudhead. I, I, I co-produced a, a, a Absent Friends with Sean. I love Im, you know, imparting what I've learned and what I love to help other people with their music. And I think that's what's missing is that there's a formula now. You listen to a song and it's just all a formula and it's all mm. done on it's an algorithm. Yeah, it is. <laughs> and, and it just someone just, I think Andrew was mentioning it, and we just had a Zoom call the other day. Andrew was mentioning that he's just heard that someone's just released 150 songs that are completely done by computer. And it's yeah. like, mm. it's just sad. I mean, yeah. and kids are so distracted by, you know, not just kids, adults. I mean, you know, by electronics that they, they just don't pick up a guitar anymore. You know, they, it's now's the time to learn guitar and, and bass because. Someone on YouTube is going to show you how to play every riff or everything you ever wanted to know. It's great for me. I wanted to learn, you know, some songs for a for a party, or you know, it's like there's going to be some guy sitting there showing me how to play Fleet Line yeah. or, or the Killers song or whatever without being able to sit down and, and use my my own ears, um, save time. But but if you now's the time, if you want to learn an instrument, now's the time to do it. My daughter's got two guitars. She's got an acoustic and an electric in her room that she is constantly learns a song a day. Mm-hmm. And her new school that she's going to, they've got guitars on the walls. So when they walk in, they can pick a guitar up and they can jam. Yeah. And it's pretty cool. Because my, my kids, are, they play, but they're 11 year old. They're, they're, they skateboard, they surf, they've you know, they got long blonde hair. They're, they're really, truly half Aussies. They got it. We got a Ludwig drum kit in the in the garage, and we got all my guitars and basses and amps. And I think they take it for granted. It's like let's go and have a jam. Oh, really? Yeah. <laughs> but B's thinking, can you adopt me, Gary? I'll uh, play. <laughs> yeah, please. <laughs> oh, it, it is. It's like I just remember walking into the Farris's garage when you know when I first started jamming with those guys. Like you know, John had a thirteen. You know, he had a he had a like a beautiful brand new Pearl drum kit because he was in a covers band. You'd Got all it was getting all this cash, and I remember driving to pick up a brand new in my sister's Hillman Imp John's Ludwig drum kit in the back. Andrew and I buying the yeah a speaker and building the the speaker boxes and wiring it up. You know, just all the fascination of you know driving Andrew around. We have to Andrew's first instrument was a again a a copy guitar, but he his first keyboard was a a church organ that we used to go and steal out the back door. (laughs) Yeah, we didn't keep it, but that's what he used to play. And all the first gigs is little blue church organ that we'd, we'd go and, you know, put it back during the middle of the night. Uh, that's hilarious. Now, yeah. rumours are, Gary, be, so be, being the oldest one in the band, you might have had access to very good transport too that made you a popular addition to the band. Yeah, Mark always says that, he says Tim said it and Tim says Mark said it that I was only in the band because I had a I had the highest van. But I also had an old EJ Holden that, you know, that, that had a fold-down seat so I could put a lot of gear in that as well. And my parents had an old Valiant station wagon. That was the... The thing we we drive down to you know Tim's house at Wild Beach and jam there and, and then drive home in the middle of the night. But back in those days, there's a big difference between being sort of nineteen and seventeen, isn't there? Though, 
It is, yeah. I remember I drove Andrew to his to his driving test. I was the town taxi because you know I, I was same at my school. I was the first guy to get a driver's license, and my sister let me drive her Hillman around, and it was it was fun time. like meeting Michael for the first time? I'd heard a lot about him because Andrew kept raving about this mate um, that's going to come back from living in here in LA and going to Hollywood High. So I'd heard a lot about him. I was in a band, in a band with Andrew called Dr. Dolphin. I oh, know, before Dr. Dolphin, whatever the band was, Andrew and I had with another singer and his brother was a drummer and then John was too busy to doing making all this money in cover bands, so he was too busy to join our band. East Farris' brother had a different band. And they'd all jam in the garage and we'd all like clock on and bundy on, bundy off and it's still turn out to. And then Michael came back and I remember he turned up to sing backups in that band and he's sitting there and it's like, he was nothing to write home about. He had greasy hair and pimples and, and he, but he had a really solely voice and he was singing backups. And then he just took over as the lead singer and we got rid of the other guy and then became Dr. Dolphin. And then eventually yeah, all three bands kind of broke up at the same time. And Tim Ferriss is like, yeah, let's be the Ferris Brothers. And everyone just grab your favorite part of your bands. And we'll, me and Andrew and, and Michael be, yeah, became our part and John on drums and then Kirk and Tim's. And from the first jam, we just did I Shot the Sheriff and Tim and Kirk also, their band had built a, a studio at an old fruit shop um, down in in uh, Whale Beach or Newport somewhere. And oh, they, they yeah. Were, yeah. And they had a little yeah recording booth and we recorded I Shot the Sheriff and that's I'm sure that's floating around somewhere and when we started doing gigs we'd go back there and and you know, smoke pot and play with the echo machine and especially John would do voices and do you know, John White and we'd just sit there in hysterics all night just You really were in uh, embodying uh, Bob Marley in every sense of the word weren't you? Oh totally yeah yeah, <laughs> uh, yeah. <laughs> It was good stuff but yeah I, um, Well Michael uh, I mean you know, NXS were a pre-internet band, if you think about it, and, um, you know, limited radio stations, limited F- FM wasn't around really, and Michael famously said, oh, look, you know, tell you get a sound like NXS, you grow up with Aretha Franklin and Led Zeppelin on the same radio station. NXS's sound really is a bit like that, isn't it? It's a sort of a combination of all these eclectic sources. That's exactly right. We didn't even realise it until we started coming to America in 83 that America's, that everything's pigeonholed. Like, you got got radio, you got black oh, radio. Yeah. You know, good rates. I mean, you know, 2SM played everything and then, you know, and then it would stop playing stuff and you'd play the, the rugby league. You know, Frank Hyde doing the rugby league. And then it's like, so you just have the radio on when I'm, you know, working on my EJ Holden and just have the radio on. And you hear, you know, Bohemian Rhapsody followed by, you know, Motown followed by ACDC followed later on Sherbet. But just that's what you grew up with, you know, Olivia Newton John. And it was just no formula. Mm. Grew up listening to everything. And, Australia, you know, God bless it, was always open to all, you know, American music, English music, whatever, Australian music, you know, got a Guernsey. But that's what we grew up with. Where bands came from, you just go, that's a great song. 
And you're right. I think America likes to format and cookie cut. And unfortunately, a lot of Australian radio has gone the same way these days. But, you know, a lot of your fans love about In Excess was the fact that they do have a musicianship that can go from soul to blues to, to rock to grunge to, to country tinges to sort of a Motown sound to punk to ska. It really was a potpourri of sounds that evolved over time. Um, uh, but you go to a concert and, you know, you look at the set list and go, wow, there's a little bit of everything here. As I said before, the pathetic music historian, music lover, just it's just in my soul. The other guys used to joke about, you know, oh, here goes Gary again. <laughs> yeah, it's in them as well, to a degree, whatever. I mean, I, yeah, they're still doing it to whatever degree. Andrew's out doing his, his, his country stuff, so he's still got it in him. You know, John's doing what he's doing. You know, everyone's still got it in there, you know. Yeah, you know, we didn't stick to a formula. We just, no. you know, whatever... Michael especially would always come in and put on vinyls and later CDs and cassettes of what was he was getting into and we'd kind of go, yeah, okay, like, you know, big audio dynamite, I get that, you know, like it's and it, and you could tell he was he was passionate about it. It wasn't just like because of how they you know, how they looked or, you know, what their videos looked like. It was the music. So we we'd get influenced by things and we'd let yeah, the swing was influenced by the Nick Lornay sound and because the oils, yeah, ten nine eight you know, whether we admitted it because we were in direct competition with the oils and it was always a real, a real thing of trying to blow each other off stage and their managers didn't like, our man, you know, the respective managers didn't get along. So it was always, you know, push and pull with the oils uh, until later in life. But but you had to respect 1098. I mean, what, I mean, and what Nick Lorne did with them and then what he did with the models, you know, before that um, with I Hear Motion and, and it's like you, you, you let the, other influences come in and, and and mold you to do the swing in, in at the manor house in England and go in a different direction when you've just recorded original sing with Niall Rogers in at, at the power station in New York and, and then yeah. that on a record that is absolutely completely different to what you just did there and, and the record yes. company yeah. going, what are you doing? Yes. Do an album of this and we're like, nope, <laughs> we can't. <laughs> we just do what we do, and and then yeah, then go to Chris Thomas with yeah you know, with an English engineer for Listen Like Thieves, and and everyone's you know putting in their all. You know, it was very individual songwriting input on that. Like you know, Kirk had a song. I I did. I wrote the music for Listen Like Thieves, and then Andrew Michael came along, and we, we wrote it into that song. John had Red Red Sun at the end of the album. I mean, it was really we did a, an instrumental version. Yeah, an instrumental song of Tim's. It was just really yes. stuff we used to get into, and until finally, Chris Thomas like put his foot down and kick and said, "Okay, Andrew and Michael are writing the record. You guys piss off." Yes, I, you know, and and it was it worked out really well. And then yeah, for that album, a lot of interviews, particularly in the eighty two to maybe eighty six period, was trying to just explain to Americans <laughs> who the hell are we in terms of what we're doing and this sort of eclectic style, which eventually I think you guys just sort of were like, listen, just listen to it, don't, you know. It was just we had to just keep going out and playing until they got yeah. it, you know, seeing us yeah. live. It's the only way to explain our, our our music output on record is to see us live. Yeah. Um, and, you know, we, we just didn't hand it to anybody. I mean, we were influenced by all everything American growing up, influenced by everything English growing up, we are influenced by... Australian bands going to England and being influenced, and then we being influenced by the Easy Beats, and you know, like, and then you know, ACDC played at my school dance at the for at the Forestville Bop. I mean, my God, it's like, how can you not be influenced by stuff? Got 
Uh, another thing that's, that existed that doesn't exist now is was dance clubs, and and we were like sort of at the forefront of the whole remix thing, you know, like the twelve inches, and the and I remember a lot of our stuff in America, we'd you know, we would find would become popular in dance clubs, and then might find its way to a, a late night DJ playing dance music. I mean, it was just yeah, we all, we really enjoyed going in and doing remixes like with a and same in England. I mean Need You Tonight was a flop in England. We had a remix released and it went top ten. And it's like yeah. and and that's yeah the things that probably you know don't really exist anymore was it I guess it was more avenues or or easier to navigate channels of how you know things work. You you, you toured, you made a record, you did remixes, you you know, um, now there's just so many you know ways to do it with you know YouTube and and TikTok and blah blah blah, and, and which is you know the new world I'm trying to put my, you know, dip my toe in. And it's like it was just so much easier back then. And then you think back before our time, it was just making a record, making a you know like Zeppelin just going you know tour and make a record. The twelve inch sort of remix was such a big thing up for the first single or two off an album, wasn't it? You know, you always had to go out with the forty five, and then the twelve inch sort of came out, and you know, it just surprised us because we were still with I think whatever our first record label was, um, deluxe, deluxe, yeah. Um, mm. Yeah, we released um, that Decadence that, and 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 there was another release where we just did uh, just released like alternate mixes and stuff and and that was that on cassette and that, that was that became really popular and so you know we we kind of really embraced that and, and it was a big part of our you know recording cycle was to get you know do either remixes ourselves like andrew really loved going in the studio and doing you know and back in the day it was you do it with a razor blade on a, on a multi-track you know like so it was actually really a really big thing, and and people like Nick Lornate that did remix that also carried over into you know, how Nick worked in the studio. Like he, we did when we were in in England doing um, "Burn for You," we did the finally got this great rhythm track, and then Nick Nick goes, "Oh, well, just you know, give me a second, you know, give me an hour, come back," and we come back and he's chopped the entire multi track into strips, and it's all hanging on the wall with with numbers on it, and we're going. That's what we just, you know, it's worth a lot of money sitting up there. And then he edits it all back together and you realize that's, that's how he works. And that's, and he creates something different. But it was so old school with, with a razor blade and the whole moving the, the tape over the heads and, there's there's a certain nobility to the to the, the labour intensiveness of that era. I mean, you know, now with you can put a song on you know YouTube in your living room, it can blow out and fantastic. You know, you know there's different ways of you know uh, FedExing you know your music to the world now. Um, yeah. But you know, back then everything was so labour intensive, be it in the production side, the touring side, you know, the travelling side, you know, the you know door. To, you know, Bono used to say, "I feel like I'm a door to door salesman, going from town to town, singing away door to door." You know, that's the way yeah. it was done then, really, wasn't it? Yeah, it was, and and but you know, he still found the time to to make songs. I mean, as I was saying before, I'm I'm I'm, I'm listening to you two with a, a different set of ears now because I'm, I'm not jealous. I mean, I, I was really happy for them that they, they came out, I think, was it last year or year before? And they just did – they just did um, Joshua Tree. They just did that yes. the album. Yeah. Yes. And it's like 
wow, it would be so nice to be going. I mean, you know, I miss Michael dearly, but it'd be great if we, if we could go out and play, you know, with Michael and do just go out mm. and just for basically to be selfish and go out and play what we wanted to play. I mean, it'd be such a wonderful feeling. And I was really at first jealous and Toby went and saw him and was raving about him going, good on him. Have you seen the footage in Sydney in 2009 of you two uh, changing the lyrics from bad to never tear us apart? I have, yeah. I remember just after Michael passed, we were, you two were touring and they invited us out and they did the whole, um, they put Mike up on the screen. Yeah. And, uh, and since then they've done obviously written songs for him and, yeah. and there's a couple of videos where, you know, there was a bit of a push-pull with you two as well as that they – Michael and Bono would hang out and we'd have these ideas for song ideas and video ideas and you two would get, then all of a sudden be doing them. Yes, shut up. Tell me what we're doing. Help, for sure. <laughs> yeah, and, but, you know, it was well, always a help yeah. rivalry with, with you two as well, you know, because well, we, you know, we all wanted to be the biggest and best. And Well, Mark, Mark Obers talks about Michael being on the phone to Bono in Capri in the recording studio. She just goes, shut up, you know. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> too giving, too giving, too twisting. Well, yeah, it is. And also, as I said before, like we're, you know, we're, we're sort of hamstrung being from Australia with limited budget and, and whatever. You, you two are just in the middle of Europe with all yeah. the money in the world and, and surrounded by people to, you know, put things together for them. And the support of all like the enemy and Melody Maker, they were oh, like you two bloody mad over exactly. there. But they, they they could you know, they could okay, well, let's go and make a video tomorrow or let's do a photo shoot tomorrow. Let's do, and we mm. we have to, you know, get the budget and do this and do that. And yeah. Well it's like ninety seven, you know, there was you doing some in the hangar and in the aeroplane effort, and then you two are like playing on an aircraft with a bloody plane coming over. You're like, What? <laughs> Who came first? Yeah. I know. Yeah, you mentioned Midnight Oil earlier. Uh, you obviously had a great time catching up with those guys uh, when they played in LA recently. I didn't get to see them, but um, so I was kind of bummed about that. But because um, they age is, has not wearied them on stage, they're incredible. Our in excess crew were actually you know working on the crew. So Colin Ellis was doing front house, and our, our fallback guy was doing fallback too. So I was chatting, hanging, and chatting with them, and then they're like, "Oh, they they had to split because yeah, you know, yeah, you know, Rob especially." Um, I heard the last gig they played in, in Sydney was just ridic- unbelievable, and they played yeah. hours and hours. Three hours, I think, three and a half hours. I, I think. Yeah. So proud of them, and so happy for them because they they were amazing. I mean, yeah, what's what's Peter now? Seventy something, and as I said, we had a, a really healthy rivalry. Like we went out to blow the oils off stage, and I think we did it once. Yeah. I mean, they were, they were incredible live, and and I remember just sitting just side stage at outdoors on a freezing night in Geelong. At, at, a, at the uni and just feeling the heat of, of power, of energy coming off stage and and just, they were a really good band, like live. And, and it was great to see they still had it. They still had the passion, um, still played their asses off. It was great. You know, the, 
it's uh, yeah, I miss Bones, you know, um, on base. You know, that was a sad loss too. But but apparently Rob has to have a couple of days off after a gig now, and you know, and yeah, I understand that. It's uh, I'm sure I'd be the same if I was playing drums at his age. But and yeah, you know, and he's playing so well and still doing all the you know just with the power he had all the time. So. Uh, it was great to you know not to catch up with him. I, I wish I had a had a chat because I I know Jim used used Mangrove um, a couple of times and I got to hang out and, and really get to know Jim and be you know, become mates with Jim. Mum, um, you know, like really nice, really nice. Jim's a really a really sweet person. I got to say, Jim Magini, he's a good man. It's got good times. That's what we had, right? I guess part of this Australian sort of onslaught, you know, it talks about Australian made just being uh, able to sort of chaperone and, you know, put a finger up to all the overseas bands and do something for Australian music. That must be a fond memory for you too. It was great. I mean, yeah, it was, it, you know, we always talk about you know, Australian music coming of age and, but, you know, it was, it was fantastic. I mean, we all travelling around together, hanging out together, um, you know, yeah, obviously we're all we're already best mates with the models and 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 um, the vinyls and you know and Jimmy and um, you know it was just and the, and, the, and the mentals and it was just really good fun you know like to go out there and celebrate and and there was no egos everyone checked their egos at the door and it was just yeah you know, it was just fun to play because we yeah you know, the stages we had like viewing platforms on the side so we'd all watch each other and support each other and. This is great, dude. Yeah, you because know, you know, we were playing pretty well. We we're about to go in and record Kick, so we had some of the songs written and we we're performing them. And yeah, you know, we we're playing pretty well, and it was just great to be playing and and feeling good about yourselves and looking the side stage. And there's Jimmy and the, the vinyls and Chrissy and you know all the yeah you know, we were all good mates of ours. I mean, you know, we all. Yeah, you know, we supported Chisel all yeah you know, as in excess, and Divinal supported us. Even here in America, mm. they support. You know, they opened the US Festival. We were second on. You know, it was mm. always good to to you know have that camaraderie. Yeah. Have you have, have you heard uh, the Mark uh, you know redux of the US Festival gig? I have not yet. No. No. Yeah. 
it's you know you got Australia where you know I guess in excess you know um, is still a massive entity and obviously you, US as well but uh, uh, yeah it's a not the nine track um, uh, sort of redux of the uh, us concert and it it is a fantastic listen you do hear a lot of really lovely Michael interplay between songs and it really is that sort of almost um, uh, dawn of an era, you know, where that gig seemed seemed to launch a lot of bands. I think Men of Work were there. You two played it. I think there was a heavy metal day. I mean, look at all the bands who played. I think the Clash played. It was such an yeah. iconic concert by a guy who went on to create the iPhone. You know? Yeah, no, yes, yeah, Jobs. And it, was, it, it was fantastic. I mean, it was it was end of our first tour of America. I mean, we we just toured with Adam Bloody Ant and, <laughs> and, and yeah, squeezed in our own little like. 100 people gigs, you know, on in days off on that. And then to finish coming and playing to 160,000 people, I think there was on the first day. And then obviously, I think the, the Bowie U2 night was pretty huge. And the, and the, the Van Halen night, I think was the, was a 300,000 people. But, you know, it's just one of those days, things that never happen anymore, you know, like, um, and it was just great because uh, to go on after Divine was really helped us to go out there and have less. Because we hadn't played to that many people before, and yeah, you know, the vinyls are out there rocking away, and it was like so. It was like a bit of Aussie Aussie togetherness out there. Flavor, yeah. We went out there, and yeah, yeah we were starting to you know, the, during that tour without a man. Um, MTV just just jumped all over us, and and we, you know, I remember just watching it, yeah, you know, meeting people going to their house and putting MTV on. It's like they were just plugging in excess. We had like three videos and uh, some live performance footage that we just recorded. But uh, they had that on on high rotation. It was like um, it was just great to be you know, that well received by you know, a budding, soon to be you know most influential thing in the world of music with MTV. So I was just oh, the first festival. We had some yeah, you know, we had some well known. We had some hits. So it was really exciting. So you said earlier yeah. you'd love to be, you know, again, obviously Mike on the band and that touring and doing some stuff these days and curating, I guess, songs that you would love to play without sort of uh, album pressure or, you know, um, record company pressure about what you would play live. I mean, what do you look back fondly from the tracks and said, okay, if we went out and played live tomorrow and we're able to pick X amount of songs, are there any certain deep cuts or favourites or certain ones that, you know, would be at the forefront that you'd love to play? I always love songs like The Stairs. Um, I, I always consider that some of Michael's finest lyrics. Um, that was always, like, emotional, like, you know, especially when he got to the line, you know, climbing as we fall line. It's always like, Ugh, you know, what I say. Songs off, off the swing were more challenging, like Burn For You was a real fun one because it's, it's a pretty – I mean, no one is going to write a piece of music like that or, or record a piece of music like Burn For You, and that – you know, and we nailed it with the video as well with with Richard. That was one of our first videos with Richard, but Richard Longstein. So, but so, um, there's songs that we did maybe only once or twice, like um, all the all the voices. I think it was off. Mm, this off one, the yeah. Yeah. Did that uh, did that one tour. I remember doing it at, at the Horton Pavilion with, when we had um, a couple of backing singers, um, and it was just. Do what you do is another one you didn't really do much no, with. Live, no, um, mm. um, I know that 
not one of her best songs. I didn't. I, it was just kind of a B side. <laughs> you know why I said it? Because it came up on my uh, playlist yesterday. Because I saw you back in '86 at the Odeon, and I, I someone sent it to me live, so I heard it live again. And I was like, oh, I haven't heard this before live, and I've got it. So that was pretty cool. That <laughs> no, was not, not one of our favourites. I mean, no, um, but it, you put that song. on the Pretty in Pink soundtrack. But you know, again. Mm. Um, you had such a depth of catalogue that you could be fussy about what made it onto an album. I always felt that Inexcess never put filler on, you know? Yeah. And it's, and, you know, songs that we, we recorded for, um, I forgot what movie it was. We did a song called Different World. Uh, was it for Crocodile Dundee, I think? Yeah. We never yeah. played that lot. Yeah. I remember there's a 12 inch version of that where, where John and I just did this huge, <laughs> um, like a, I think it's like a 7 4 groove in the middle of it. I think Andrew and Kirk just did some some stuff over the top of it, but it was just like just us having some fun, and 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 that became the, the you know the song for the on the on, and we never played it live, but, mm. but um yeah, but songs like uh you know what I say were always fun to play live because it's just so different, you know, and yeah. and all the voices I remember when we hit the the final outro, I just remember feeling just sense of power of the band, like just. Mm-hmm. Um, and we never played that song again. So it was just really like I remember it distinctly, sitting up the back with all the everyone singing and just playing, and it was just like uh, well, it's real it propulsive, was, isn't it? It broods and broods and broods, and then Michael's vocal at the end mm-hmm. is fantastic, you know. Yeah, and it's kind of, and again, it's just like a jam at the end, you know. Uh, and Andrew's you know, playing the '80s keyboard sounds, and and Kirk's and we're playing the the funky kind of not Noel Rogers kind of clean funky guitar sounds, and it's. Um, I don't know. It's just some it had, a, it had a spirit to it that song. I think. Yeah. Well, the drums get quite tribal, like yeah. at the end, don't they? When you're all and you're all singing as well, so it must feel quite powerful. Yeah. And we, I, just, I have one memory of doing it live, and it was amazing. But maybe just we didn't do it again. I don't know. It's just it was mm-hmm. just one of those things that you it, it, it sticks with you, I guess, because you you kind of being a fan of your own band as well, in your own music, you know, especially if you're. On the outside, looking in at Andrew and Michael writing these songs, and that particular song, John yeah. and Michael, um, all the voices, and it's just like so. You, you also, you know, it's a bit of fandom going on of playing, playing, you know, in excess music, you know, because it's 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 you're part of a of a pretty um, powerful animal, you know. This is David from Derby. Hi, this is Katie from England. G'day, it's Paul from Sydney. Hi, this is Ella from the Netherlands. This is Dr. Jim and that's a wrap. All right, Billy, well, that's a wrap. Uh, obviously another handy dose of Inexcessum band member-ish. That was pretty cool again, wasn't it? Fantastic. I just loved it. Great coming in there with uh, Wembley. They say never meet your idols, but uh, along with all the people we've interviewed from the band, it's fantastic that we have such humble, mm. down-to-earth guys. Great success, great journeys. Um, Gary's just, he's, he's still passionate about music. Very passionate about music. But also what I got out of this episode was that, you know, him and Andrew were very good friends, weren't they? I mean, the fact that, yeah. you know, um, that he took him to his first driving lesson and, you know, they <laughs> Stealing the um, the keyboard out of the church and then returning it. I mean, that's like you know, kids pranks. But like, that's that's that makes you tighter as mates. That's real rascal <laughs> material, isn't it? Huh? Yeah, I loved it. Yeah, I loved yeah. it. Yeah. 
Well, as I said a bit earlier, we, uh, we've got Elegantly Wasted coming up in a couple of weeks, but we will have one more episode from Gary, we think, because we've got a little bit more to tidy up. So please uh, listen into that. And now it's time for Fan Engagement. Well, hello, and I'd like to introduce Danielle, my beautiful assistant in uh, the fun engagement. Danielle, welcome to the show, sweetie. Thank you, B. I appreciate you having me today. Yeah, this is fun. I think this might become a bit of a regular that both of us can do the fun engagement because it's just getting so big now, isn't it? And uh, Carrie Ann helps me with the emails, but you've been helping me with the website messages as well as thank you so much for that. I'd like to say that openly so everybody knows that Danielle does a huge amount of work behind the scenes with me. Thank you. It is my pleasure. <laughs> and you've been a fan since when? September of 1988. Oh, bless her, bless her. And you had your own post box with an excess written on it. I just think that's the cutest thing. I wish I'd thought of it. (laughs) 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 And you're behind uh, a lot of the things in the newsletter, aren't you? And about the history of in excess. What's that part about? Can you tell the listeners? This Week in History is something that uh, actually Lori and I kind of go through and we look up every kind of date that you can think of for an NXS show, concert. Uh, and that's where we come up with uh, ideas for this week in history. That's brilliant. Oh, thank you. Thank <laughs> you. And then we also have our new um, area called Collector's Corner. And that is where years and years of uh, collecting NXS articles, uh, magazines, pictures has come out to uh, help others, I think. So uh, you get to see a little bit of my collection, but we would love for other people to email us in some of their collection, because I'm sure there's people in, in Australia, the UK, anywhere that you may have articles that I've never seen. So get in touch. We'd love to have some. Fantastic, fantastic. Well, today we're going to talk about a few people that have come through um, the emails and messages. Who came across this week, Danielle? Well, this week we have got someone that has been uh, emailing us back and forth since about December, and I'm not going to be able to pronounce his name right, so he has given us a second name to go by, and that is the Harmonic Wizard. Ooh, Uh, I like that. (laughs) He's from Melbourne and he has gotten in touch with us about his copy of the book, Michael and Pictures. Mm. And so what he would like to do, which I think is fabulous, he would like to sell his copy. And from the sell of his copy, he would like to donate $100 of that to the podcast. Oh, oh that's wonderful. Thank you very yeah. much, Mr. Harmonica. <laughs> the Harmonica Wizard, I should say. That's very yes. kind of you. So how's he going to sell his book? So he's got he's got a black one or a white one? It's the white one. Yeah. So he has gotten in touch with us because we would know where he could go to sell it. So mm. we have 
got in touch and told him maybe through Pedro and David's page. Which is called um, In Search of In Excess, which is hugely popular. There's lots of people on there. There's lots of things being sold and, and swapped as well. You can swap things. So that's a great place. And he's going to give us $100 of the do- whatever he gets. Oh, that's really, really kind. Thank you, mate. We had someone named Isabel Felix that sent us a nice little hola. So hello, Isabel. We had Miguel Helfer signed up for our newsletter this week. So thank you very much, Miguel. We appreciate your support on that. Okay, I've got a lovely message here from Martin. Congratulations to H&B and team. Your relentless hard work and love to the band of, of our hearts deserves even more. In excess, take me deeper and deeper. Oh, thank you, Martin. That's sweet. Aww. That's sweet. And we have some sad news. We want to extend our love and our prayers to Sula and her family on the tragic loss of her beautiful son, Patrick, and his friend, Chris. They were in a tragic accident um, last week. They both lost their lives. It was just devastating, wasn't it, Danielle? Um, All the patrons have have been told, and we just want to extend our love to everybody. Yes, uh, Sula and I have been messaging back and forth before she came became a patron. Yeah. My heart goes out to her, her mm. family, the family of, of the friend that was lost as well. So thinking of you, Sula. Yes, we are thinking of you. And after the playout song, we're going to dedicate um, one song for you and your family and your loved ones. And it's Never Tear Us Apart from the Hard Rock Cafe. will do for fun engagement this week lots um lots to come if you want to get in touch with either myself or danielle you can get in touch with us via our email which is um in excess um triple a at gmail.com or you can message us through the website and also keep in touch just find the website which is in excess access all areas.com and click on the fun engagement page and you will see all our things that we're interacting with Thank you, Danielle. Thank you, B. And back to you, Hayden. What's next? So what we thought we'd do today is, and it's a bit ironic, but we're going to go out with a Gary composition, uh, one that uh, has going to, well, come up in this podcast uh, discussion with him. But you know, Gary did a co-write for Perfect Strangers, which ironically appeared on the very last album and was probably one of the last sort of singles, fresh singles that they released. So it took Gary a long time to get one of his own pen songs on there. We're going to go out with the JD Sung Switch third single release, Perfect Strangers, which was a major uh, writing uh, song with uh, Gary Beers and Shelley Pekin, who contributed some of the, the lyrics and things, I believe. So well done to Gary for that composition. And we'll go out with uh, Perfect Strangers. It's a goodbye from me. Thank you, Gary. And it's a goodbye from B. Goodbye, everybody. <laughs> Oh, wow.
Listening to In Excess, Access All Areas with Hayden and B.